And so all that to say, I think sometimes we need to hear something over and over again. So if this sounds familiar, it is. Uh, not claiming this to be completely new, but we'll see if the Lord leads a slightly different take on it this time of year. <coughs> the title of the message is The Thief of Joy. The Thief of, thief of Joy. A few years back, we followed uh, the Advent calendar, which is done uh, not as much among Baptist churches. Uh, we lit candles and did a variety of things. And so this Sunday would be the Sunday of joy. The Sunday we celebrate the theme behind this would be joy if we were following that tradition today. And it's a perfectly fine and acceptable tradition. It's just not one we do as often among our churches. There's no reason that we shouldn't or couldn't. But this is a Sunday that we celebrate joy. Well, what is that joy that we celebrate? Well, the forecoming of Jesus Christ. As we get ready for his advent, the time that he appears as one of us, of course, we look back to that event and look forward to the next time that he comes, the next advent, if you will, of his coming. But until then, we look back and we look forward and we think about things that are related to him. We think about the joy that he brings. We think about the angels coming and sharing with those who were there um, at night, the shepherds who were watching the sheep and then hearing the message of the angels and going to find Jesus and worshiping him. We think about what joy is, and we've preached on that many a times. But in John chapter 10, I want to take a reading from there. I want to start reading one verse, and then I want to back up and we'll look at the whole chapter. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. This verse is very important and it's kind of in the midst of three very important parables. Let me go back to chapter 9. Again, I've told you before, I really enjoy chapter 9 because it's almost kind of a witty banner back and forth between a young man that Jesus heals and the Pharisees who don't believe it. And they go back and forth and back and forth and then we see the Pharisees are around and questioning this young man and he stands up pretty well for himself and the Lord appears to him and reminds him and tells him who he is and we see a great conversation that happens here. And then what likely is happening in chapter 10 is that Jesus is continuing to teach as he usually does and in this case he is speaking directly to the Pharisees. Now they are the religious leaders and rulers of this time. Of course they had a little bit different system of government set up, if you will. But they were the ones who were, you could maybe call them the preachers, but they were more than that. They were the religious elite. He wasn't very nice to them very often. There's very good reason for that. And he tells three back-to-back -back parables describing their downfall. So let me go back, John chapter 10 with verse 1 and read you the first one. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up another way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice." And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. 
And see, Jesus Christ is telling those who are there, both the Pharisees and those who are around them, and trying to explain to them the difference between the rightful shepherd and those who are leading people astray. He is proclaiming very clearly, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you that no one sneaks into the pen where we have all the sheep. And in fact, he reminds us that the sheep know the shepherd's voice and they follow after him. You might recall a number of years ago, we did a very long and very good study on sheep. And we've learned a lot about sheep. And we learned that in the Middle East, that was the practice, that the shepherd would lead the sheep and he would constantly be speaking. And the sheep would follow only that shepherd because they knew his voice. You can go and look online today and see videos of uh, uh, shepherds uh, leading their sheep and the sheep will cross. Looks like they're all going to get mixed together, but somehow they always follow the shepherd because they know his voice. And the inclination and the point here is, the question is, do you know the shepherd's voice? Are you following after the shepherd or are you following after something else? Of course, this is a very pointed, I think, uh, jab at the Pharisees, and rightfully so, because what Jesus is ultimately implying is that they're not following the shepherd's voice. We can ask ourselves today, are we following after this? He goes on in verse Seven, he says, and then Jesus said unto them, again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that came before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life. And have it more abundantly. And so again, he's telling them that the thieves are the people who go in and they cause disruption among the sheep. They uh, trick them. They, they sneak in and they try to lead them astray that they kill and they destroy and they do all manner of things. But on the contrary, he has come. And if we would but follow him, he would give us life more abundantly. And the third example he gives, he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. But he that is a hireling, and not the shepherd, whom's own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and feareth, and the wolf catches them, and scatters the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is, not, because he is a hireling, and he careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd." and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them I also must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doeth the will of, doeth, therefore doeth, does my Father love me, because I have laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and the power to take it again. This command have I received of my Father. And if we were to continue reading, we see in verse 19, it says there was great division again among the Jews for these sayings. They knew exactly what he was implying. They understood better than we could the context and the examples and the parables that he was giving. And they knew that Jesus Christ was talking about them being the shepherds who were not following as they should and as they ought to. How do we know this? Well, all you have to do is skip down to the rest of the chapter and you see they plotted to stone him 
because they knew what he was saying. But let's go back, if you will, and talk about verse 10 for just a minute. And because I've emphasized that this whole passage is talking about the thief. The thief. Now, who is the thief? Well, you might say after last Sunday, when we talked about hell, and the Sunday before we talked about heaven, you might say, well, that, the thief is probably the devil, right? Well, actually, in Scripture, the devil's never referred to as a thief. In fact, as shameful as it is, the only one who's ever referred to as the thief over and over again are the false preachers and the false prophets. See, they're the ones that worm their way into churches and worm their way into relationships and do things that are not of God. And so here we are not necessarily talking about Satan who comes and tries to get in. Certainly he comes to do these things. But what we have a problem with is men who claim to be the men of God who do wrong things. They steal, they kill, and they destroy. Let's talk about those three words for just a minute. They're not the same thing. In fact, to steal, that's pretty obvious, means to take something, to seize it, and it implies that you're going to carry it away in a hidden way. And so what we see here is that the enemy comes to steal something. If they can't steal it, they're going to kill it. Now, this word actually is a little bit different word for kill than we have perhaps see in other contexts, and it really means to slaughter or to sacrifice. And in fact, every time we see this word used in the New Testament or its equivalent in the Old Testament, we're talking about a sacrifice. We're talking about destroying something. And the last one, to destroy, means to render it useless. So when we say that they come to steal, kill, and destroy, they come to steal and to carry away by stealth, they come to inflict a loss, to, to sacrifice, to slaughter, to kill something. And if that doesn't work, they're going to render it useless. So if it can't be stolen, it'll be killed. If it can't be killed, it will be rendered useless. Let's compare that to the rest of the sentence. Because that's what Jesus Christ does. So he's giving you a comparison. He's saying, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I want you to notice who has come. The shepherd has come. The shepherd, the son of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one who came, who is God, who became as one of us, he himself has come. And you read and look in that passage over and over again. There are the I am statements. There are the I, there are the me. This is Jesus Christ again, proudly and boldly proclaiming the truth. It is he who has come that they might have life and may have it more abundantly. It is Jesus Christ. Notice he didn't say, I have sent you everything you wanted so you may enjoy life. He didn't say, I have sent you your best friend or your spouse or your church or your job or money. He said, I am come that you may have life and life more abundant. If you want joy in this world, that is the only thing that will bring you true joy this Christmas season. Not whatever you open underneath your gift. Not what you give to someone else, although that's important. Not whether your family is there. Not whether we have a good service tonight. The only thing that matters for joy this time of year and any time of year is that he came to give 
joy and to give life. That's it. None of the rest of this actually matters. It's all about him. And how much does he give it? He gives it abundantly. That word implies more than you actually need. I had a disappointing conversation with somebody one time that I do some work with and kind of in an offhanded way said, well, how much more money do you need? And he said, more. The operative word is always more, right? So how much money do you need? Think about that for a minute. Most of us would just say more than what I have, right? How much joy do you need? How much peace do you need? How much? The amazing thing about this passage is that not only will you get the joy that you need, you'll get more than what you need. What are you going to do with your excess joy? Give it back to God? How do you do that? Give it to somebody else? You see, the point that I think the passage is trying to say is that while those come to steal, to kill, and destroy, God came and is here so that we can have joy, not only just as much as we need, but more than we need, overflowing. And what should we do with all the excess? But to give it back to Him and to give it to those who we are around. That's why we come and we sing. That's why we come to church. That's why we're going to go caroling in a few days and give things away. That's why we give things at Christmas time so that we can take the joy that we have that's more than enough, more than I could ever need, more than I could desire, more than I ever thought I could have because it is overflowing and give it in abundance to someone else. Do you want more joy than you know what to do with? Or are we too often thinking about more money than we know what to do with, or more power than we're able to have. I think of Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. We are reminded that he is the source of all of that. Now here's where I want to bring this together for just a minute that I emphasized a few years back that I want to talk about again. Have you allowed someone to steal your joy. Think about that one for a minute. Have you allowed someone to steal your joy? Have you allowed someone to sacrifice or kill your joy? Have you allowed someone to render your joy useless? I say this not because I've overcome this. That'd be nice. But because I am as much of a victim of it as you are. And in fact, I think it does surprise me sometimes how I can be having a good day and then somehow this little tiny comment out of nowhere steals my joy. Y'all ever experienced that? Y'all ever gone about and things are going okay? And then it's like something happens. It can be the smallest thing in the world. And for some reason, it just like, like takes all the air out. And you're just like, ugh. Maybe some of you feel like that frequently. Maybe some of you only remember what it was like to have joy. We can have people come into our lives who will steal our joy. 
We can have people who come into our lives who kill it or slaughter it. And we can have people who come into our lives that destroy it and ruin it and make it impossible for us to actually experience. Now, here's the really hard one. I asked you, have you allowed someone to steal your joy or allowed someone to sacrifice your joy or allowed someone to render your joy useless? Have you yourself stolen your joy? Never thought about that? When I reflect on the times that I get upset about something or I lose my joy, you know, it's usually not really somebody else. It's usually me. Does that make sense? It's usually me who responds to something. Very rarely does someone come into my life and purposely steal or kill my joy, right? Usually that's not their intent. It's something that happened, and it's my response to that thing that's happened, and I allow my joy to die or to be destroyed or to be killed. I think this is a serious problem that we have in our society. I think part of the problem is because we're very self-centered. Now, I get that that's ironic that I'm complaining about being self-centered and asking you to think about yourself, but the two aren't mutually exclusive. We are so centered on ourselves sometimes that we allow ourselves to steal our own joy. I think it's a real problem. We can sacrifice our joy, or we can render it completely useless. But the reality is, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be more joyful than most other people. You think about that? Let me get political again, because I do this a lot, and y'all haven't kicked me out just yet. Let's talk about um, some current trends in society. Not only is it a very internally driven society, right? It's all about me. See this all the time. Whether people admit it or not, it's all about me and how I feel and what I want. It's all about taking the perfect picture to make everyone else jealous, whether you think that or not. A lot of times that's the internal drive, right? To make someone jealous of where I've been or what I've done. Are those people happy? Think, Think about the unhappiness in this world. Think about the next time you're on TV or on whatever device where you can watch videos or maybe see some pictures, but primarily videos where you see someone going and protesting. They're screaming, they're yelling, they're angry. They hate everything about life, often including themselves. Sincerely. This is a real problem that we have. We as believers in the body of Jesus Christ should be at the very opposite end of that spectrum. Can we be upset about something? Absolutely. Can we be burdened by something? Absolutely. Does it mean that we always go around joyfully singing and happy and smiling? No, not at all. But my point is, if we look at other ends of the spectrum, we should be the exact opposite of what the world is doing today. Because the world is doom, it's gloom, it's woe is me, it's all about me, and you're wrong and you're making me unhappy. Therefore, I don't want you to say what you're saying or do what you're doing. We're trying to control other people to make ourselves happy. And you know what? It will never, ever work. So where does our joy come from? From him. See, my joy is not dependent upon you. Oh, you can make me happy. But my joy comes from God. 
You see, this is a stark difference. The world goes around and says they want to find joy by doing the things that I like, that I enjoy. Whenever you make me happy, therefore I'm happy. And if you make me sad, then I'm angry at you. I can look at you and say I'm sad over your current state. I'm disappointed by the way that you treat me. But you can't take my joy. You can't steal it. You can't kill it. And you can't destroy it. Why? Because it comes from God. And the only way you can steal my joy or kill my joy or destroy it is if I let you. Entirely different way of looking at things. We must remember that our joy comes from him. I, Jesus Christ said, am come that they, which means you, might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It's a paradigm shift. It's a different way of thinking. It's opposite of what our society is telling us today. And it's something, again, that we have a choice to pursue. So we can allow someone else to steal and to kill and to sacrifice and render useless the joy that we have in Christ. And we can certainly allow ourselves to lose the joy of Jesus Christ. But we certainly shouldn't. And it's a real problem. So maybe, as I've been saying this, you've been thinking, well, I don't feel very joyful today. Okay. Maybe you're not looking forward to what happens in a few days, and we celebrate Christmas. And, and let's be honest. Let, let's just be honest with ourselves. From a worldly perspective, a lot of us aren't. A lot of us go around family that we maybe don't care for, who bring us down. A lot of us experience disappointment. A lot of us are lonely. It's actually a challenging time of year. And what I want you to understand is I'm not telling you to go out and be fake happy. And there's a huge difference between happiness and joy anyway. The point that I'm trying to make is that even during this time of year, when we celebrate the birth of Christ, when we seemingly on the outside should be very happy because it's a Christian holiday and we're believers, let us not lose sight of the joy that only He can bring us. And brothers and sisters, if you need joy in your life, do you know what you should do? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Psalms 51. Turn to Psalms 51. Now this might seem like a really strange place to go for joy. You remember the story of David and Bathsheba, right? You remember that David committed adultery. If we're going to rank sins, that's up there. And then he lied. And then he murdered somebody over it. This is David, a man after God's own heart, has gotten all caught up. He was somewhere where he shouldn't have been. First clue there, that's a whole other sermon. He was supposed to be out at battle with his troops. And what was he doing? He was back at his house being lazy. And then he got tempted. We'll file that away for your future uses. He was somewhere that he shouldn't have been. He got tempted. He had an affair. He lied about it. He murdered somebody over it. And then what happened? His son dies. And Psalms 51 is written about this. Do you think that was a joyful time for him? No. Not in the least. Look at what he says. 
verse 12, Psalm 51 and 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. See, David knew something that we need to be reminded of. That the joy that is God's salvation for him can be restored. It can be restored. And so what I'm coming before you today to plead for you is that if you don't feel the joy that you once felt when you were saved, ask for that joy back. Seek after him and understand it says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. It's not about me. And David knew that. He doesn't say, God, make me happy. He doesn't say, God, take away this guilt. He doesn't say to me, God, just pretend like this never happened. No, he comes before you read the whole chapter. You see that he's coming before God, broken and begging, restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. If you have concern about your joy, then where should you go to God? Don't go to somebody else. Don't go to a thing. Don't go to a drug. Don't go to something that masks the feeling. Don't try and fix it on your own, but instead go to God and say, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. But that's not the only thing. Go up a few verses. Verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bonds which thou have broken may rejoice. Brothers and sisters, and I'll say this because I have been there, maybe not to some degree as some of the rest of you have. Sometimes all we can say is, Lord, make me joyful again. Because it's almost too hard to ask. You ever been there? You ever let someone or yourself steal your joy? To the point that you feel like, you know, that low. And the only thing you can do is say, God, make me joyful. Restore to me that joy that I knew at the moment of salvation. But I want to point out, if that's something you seek, if that's something you need, that this is not just a name it and claim it kind of scripture. David did something very important. Very important. And we see it through Psalm 51. He certainly did say, restore to me. And he certainly did say, make me to hear thy joy. And he certainly knew that God was the one who had the joy. But don't miss out on Psalms 51, because you know what he did? He repented of his sin. Many times the reason that we don't have joy in our lives is because we refuse to repent of the sin that we know we're involved with. And David got down on his face and repented of the sin that he had done, all the way up to murdering somebody. And I dare say none of us in this room have gone that far. He repented. He was also obedient. See that in verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it, Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. 
You see, David understood very clearly what we all must understand. If we want God to make us to hear joy and to restore joy that we experienced at salvation, we must repent and we must be, the most horrible word in the English language, obedient. We must be obedient. So many times we miss this in our Christian walk. Oh, we might get enough strength to repent to God, but how often do we repent and become obedient? How often do we repent and then go right back to what we were doing before? You know how the scripture describes that? Since we talked about dogs this morning. I don't have it with me. I didn't plan on turning there. It talks about a dog returning to its vomit. Y'all seen dogs do that, right? They puke. And a few seconds later, they're eating it. It's disgusting. And then they want to come lick you. But that illustration is perfect for how we are too. Because just as a dog returns to its vomit, so do we. We can be all convicted about something. We can be all repentful. And instead of being obedient and leaving that sin behind, we go right back to it. The same disgusting behavior is us. And until we realize it and finally through the power of God choose not to keep going back to the same thing over and over and over again that steals our joy and ruins our joy and finally become obedient and follow after him in the right way, we will not have our joy restored. Too many times. We go back to the one who's caused the problem or we go back to our sin that causes the problem or we go back inside of ourselves and we hunker down and don't let anyone come in and we refuse to experience the joy that God came to give us and to restore to us. We must repent. We must be obedient to stay away from those things. And I believe we must ask. I have preached out of Psalms 51 many times and referred to it many times because it is a beautiful passage that is deep and gives great guidance for how we should live. Here's something else I think about Psalms 51. I believe it has great application to our salvation. What do I mean by that? Oh, I think David was saved before. David had to repent He had to be obedient, and he had to ask. If you today have never been saved, if God has never given you that joy that you experienced the first time, that joy that we want to return to, that joy of salvation, then you must repent, you must be obedient, and you must ask. And too many times we wallow in our filthiness, And refuse to do it. Why? I think oftentimes because of pride and because of control. I don't want to admit I have a problem. And I don't want to lose control. How often in our lives have we lost our joy being stolen, destroyed because of our pride? Because we don't want to lose control. See, in other places, we see more clearly David's state during this time. Everyone knew 
what he did. It was a very public sin. And then he cried out in public. And you, you can go back and read in the Old Testament. All of the, the prison officials knew that he was in there wailing and crying. He wouldn't get off the floor. He wouldn't eat. It was public. He was begging his God and pleading to his God. He was repenting. He was trying to be obedient. He was asking for God to save his son. And when that didn't happen, he pens this psalm and he gets up and he does what? He worships God. We too often want to hold it all in when what we should be doing is telling God, make me to hear the joy and restore the joy of your salvation. And so as we close today, I want us to think very carefully. I want us to really take some time to consider, have you ever experienced the joy that only God can give? Have you been saved? Have you come to a point in your life when you realize that there is no real joy in anything else that you're doing? Have you come to a point in your life when you realize that you're actively in rebellion against an almighty and an all-holy God? Have you come to the point that you must come before Him and say, God, I know that you're real and I know that I am at odds with you. And the only thing I can do is to repent, to be obedient, and to call out to you. And has He given you that joy? If you've been around or recall when you were saved or been around others you have, that's so often a beautiful testimony, isn't it? That moment that they truly believe, that moment that they truly repent, that huge grin that comes across their face when they know that they've been forgiven. That joy is what David says, restore to me. If you've never been saved and you don't know what that joy is, but I encourage you to find out. You find out the same way that David did. You repent and you become obedient and you believe and you ask. And for those of us who are here, which may be the majority today, who have experienced this at some point in their lives, who have a testimony, who say, I know the Lord, I know his voice, I follow after him when I can. But brothers, sisters, my joy is really small. Ask yourselves, what is killing and stealing and destroying your joy? Is it something you're doing? Is it something you need to repent for and to be obedient not to return to it? Perhaps it's someone else in your life. Perhaps you can't get rid of that person who's stealing your joy, who's destroying it. The only thing to do in that case is go to God and tell him, restore my joy. Make me to hear joy again. Now, I think the flip side of that is you have to still be obedient. But brothers and sisters, we get ourselves in a world of hurt. And we try everything we can to solve it. We seemingly look in every direction. We try to distract ourselves. We try to argue our way out of it. You try to at least for me, try to logic my way out of it. Try to make it work on my own. But the reality is at some point we have to be like David. We have to cry out to God. We have to repent. We have to be obedient. And we have to ask. And I want us to think about that today. This is the time of year when we should have joy. Joy. 
because we remember the most joyous thing that happened, and that is that Jesus Christ came to save us. I want to close with a hymn. In particular, a hymn by Isaac Watts. Now everyone will know this as soon as you turn to it. It's page 65 if you want to turn there. Isaac Watts was a famous theologian, a famous hymn writer. In fact, he kind of brought hymns into a thing back in the 1700s. He was also a great academic, wrote a textbook on logic that was used in Harvard and other schools for at least 100 years or more. He didn't write this as a Christmas song. This actually has nothing to do with Christmas, but we sing it at Christmas, and that's okay. But what you'll notice is very simple. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And let heaven and nature sing. You see, Jesus came to give us joy, to be our joy. That's why he came as a baby. That's why he grew up as a sinless adult and died on the cross and rose again on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God to bring the world joy. And if you don't have joy today, you can. Either because you come to him repenting and confessing and believing for the first time, or you simply come to him and repent and are obedient and ask for the joy to be restored that you once had. Joy is what God came to give us if we would only receive him as king. It's beautiful lyrics, it's beautiful music, and it is a reminder of the greatest thing that we can have at this time and all year long, if we're honest, is the joy that only God can give.